Yeah. Flatirons, what's up? How are we? It is, uh, it is so good to see you guys. I, uh, it's been a while. It was a crazy fall, and so I've uh, been hearing a lot about what's been going on up here, and uh, I'm really, really excited to be here with you guys. If you've been a part of Flatirons for a while and you've gotten to be a part of Shine, you know that that is a party that has gotten bigger and bigger every year. The last time we did it, it was a Cirque du Soleil theme, as you can see. Uh, this year, it's going to be a superhero theme. And so um, Cole, who you just met, is going to go as the Incredible Hulk. Jesse's going to go as Batman. You don't want to miss that. And so, uh, no, it's an amazing, amazing thing to be a part of. If you've got questions about it, there's going to be Cole and Amanda be out there in the, the upper lobby out here. They're also going to be handed out invitations. So if you have some people in mind that you would like to invite to this, this is a party that we throw for people who are 60 years old and older who have some sort of physical um, uh, or all kinds of different disabilities and things like that. And so we just invite a lot of people to this thing and then we just throw a big party for a bunch of people who've been marginalized, who haven't ever gotten to go to big parties or go to a prom or go to a dance or something like that. And so if you've got somebody in mind, you can go out there and get those invitations. Again, it's going to be February 27th. It's going to be at our Lafayette campus. Um, also, registration to serve for that. So if you look at that and you go, I want to be a part of that. I want to serve. I want to help. I want to do whatever needs to be done, you need to understand that the, 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 the signups for this go so fast. We open them today at 3 p.m. on our website, all right? There's about 750 spots, and they will go within about 30 minutes at the most. And so if you want to be a part of it, you got to be sitting there on your computer with very fast Wi-Fi somewhere, all right? You got to be ready to go, all right? So if you're one of those government hacker types, you're good to go. But the rest of us you need, to be, you need to have that figured out, all right? Um, also, we, we take um, donations for dresses. Um, so for those of you ladies, you've been like a bridesmaid a thousand times or even a bride a thousand times, all right? You can bring, you can bring your old wedding dresses. You can bring your old uh, bridesmaid dresses and things like that. Um, guys, if you uh, just forgot to return the tux that you rented, that kind of thing, and it's been sitting in your closet for a while, we'll take it and we won't turn you in for stealing, all right? So um, you can bring those here next weekend to the lobby. We need lots of dresses, lots to Texas. We do fittings for people, and so uh, those are really, really helpful to have as well. All right, so shine. Big, huge party. February 27th, it's going to be a blast. Make sure you are a part of it. All right. Hey, I'm really, really good to be back with you guys, like I said, and as I was talking um, last week about how I've been watching this old this old miniseries, and I'm done watching it now, but it's called Band of Brothers, and that, that week before last week, I also had a birthday. Last, not this Friday, but the one before that was, was my birthday, and one of, one of the things that uh, my wife and I never get to do is go see movies that aren't made by Pixar or Disney, and so what she was like, what do you want to do? You have the flu, you don't feel good, but what do you want to do? I was like, I want to go to a movie uh, that's not made by D- Disney or Pixar, and so we went to see American Sniper, and so we went to see American Sniper, and one of the things that kind of stood out to me in that is also what stood out to me as we were watching Band of Brothers others is how um, somebody can be just a, an ordinary, regular person, and they can be transformed into a soldier. A citizen can go from a citizen to a soldier, and all of a sudden, you have somebody who's, who was ordinary doing these extraordinary things. And one of the lines that struck me in that movie was at one point, Chris Kyle I was sitting on a rooftop in a sniper position, and he was giving cover to some guys who were raiding uh, these houses, and he was supposed to look out for bad guys who might sneak up on them. And so he decided that he would be better served by joining the team that was raiding the houses. He didn't just want to sit on the rooftop. And so he, he goes down and he tells another one of, these, one of these guys, one of the soldiers that he's with, he goes, listen, I, I want to join the team. I think I can help with the team instead of just sitting on the rooftop giving you cover. And the guy went, no, 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 no. You get back to your position because our guys feel so much safer knowing that you're doing your job. They do their job better. And that stood out to me. He had a very specific role to play. He had a very specific set of abilities and gifts that when he used them, it helped everyone. Now, catch this. This is important. He could, 
He could do a lot of things. He was a Navy SEAL. He could join that team. He knew what he was doing. But this one thing is what he should be doing. He could be doing a lot of things, but there was one thing that he should be doing. Now, last week, we talked a lot about how we are all broken. We all have sin. We all have shame. We all have regret. And we've all carried lots and lots of secrets in our life. And not only does God make us whole through what he did for us in Christ, but he also brings you and me. He brings us together so that we can say we, and we can say me too. And our best shot at following Jesus is for us to lay down our stones of condemnation that we have a tendency to throw at one another. And instead of fighting each other, to fight alongside of each other. And I got to be honest, I, I think last week was one of those just kind of watershed moments in the life of our church and I've been here almost nine years now and there's certain moments I can reflect back to and just go that was a big moment that was a transformational moment last week was one of those moments and not just as your pastor but just as a a person who's a part of this church of this body of believers that was an amazing moment for a lot of us to realize for the first time that we are not alone I mean my email box has been filled up and people just saying hi to me wherever I've been just going that was an amazing moment for me and I hope now that when you hear us talk about this phrase, me too, that that picture of all of us standing up together is what's in your mind, that that's who we are, that you can always, always come as you are to this place. And here's the thing that I love. Not only can you come as you are before Jesus and be a part of this community, if you do that, Jesus will transform you. Jesus will change you. He really will. And it'll be better. It won't be easier, but it will be better than what you were experiencing before. He'll transform you from the inside out. He is an expert in taking broken, sinful people and making them and transforming them into whole new people, fully functioning followers of Jesus. He makes us united, not only in ourselves, but with one another. He puts us back together. Let me show you what I mean. If you've got your Bibles, they're going to be back in the book of Ephesians. Once again, this will be on the screens as well. We'll be in chapter 4. Let's do a quick review of what we covered last week, and then we'll, we'll continue Paul's train of thought as we dive into some new verses. Check it out. Ephesians 4, verse 1. This is from last week. I, therefore, Paul, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body... And one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That's what we covered last week. Now, Paul's going to kind of continue his train of thought. Look down at verse 11. He says this. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning or craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, my overall reaction to that is very similar to what my overall reaction to those verses that we looked at last week is that that sounds awesome. I mean, that sounds great. That sounds profound. That sounds like something I want to be a part of. That sounds like something powerful, and it sounds like something unique. It sounds like something I've seen glimpses of over the years here at Flatirons. It sounds a lot like our fourth value as we continue to journey through our values, which is this, gifted service. Last week, we talked about authentic community. This week, gifted service, which simply means this. We recognize that God distributes spiritual gifts to equip the church in order to serve as Christ 
to the world. Now, last week the focus was on unity. So if you were to kind of follow this train of thought that Paul's developing here, all right, it would be this. The result of unity is maturity. The result of what God is doing in us and through us as he brings us together under the headship of his, his son Jesus is he brings us together in unity, but that unity springs forth maturity. Now, here's the real danger in church and talking about gifted service and exercising your gifts and spiritual maturity and all that is that this uniquely has a tendency to be one of those good things that can go bad very, very quickly in the church if we aren't careful. And one of the big reasons it has a tendency to go bad is because we have this tendency to forget the implications of the word gift. It's really, really key. We can't lose sight of it. The word gift. You see, one of the unfortunate tendencies about people who have been Christians for a while, and if you've been a part of churches for a while, or been a Christian for a while, you've seen this happen repeatedly over and over again, is we have this tendency to become very, very arrogant if it's left unchecked. And if you think about it, it makes absolutely no sense. I mean, where's there room for arrogance and being a follower of Jesus? Let's think about that. Let's see. I was lost. I was broken. I was separated from God because of my sin, my shame, my guilt, things I've done to myself and to others. And then God, but God, out of his grace and mercy through the sacrificial death and resurrection of his son, Jesus purchased me, redeemed me, made me whole and saved me and reconnected me. And he achieved for me. He accomplished for me on my behalf. He gave a gift of grace to me, me, an undeserving sinner. Now, what part of that should lend itself to arrogance, right? We didn't do anything for ourselves. Now, not only that, I mean, that'd be enough, right? Not only that, but God also gave me spiritual gifts, and he gave you spiritual gifts. In, in my case, I got two. I don't have very many. I'm not very well-rounded. I'm very imbalanced. I don't have any marketable skills. All I have is leadership and teaching. That, that is it, all right? I didn't earn those gifts. I didn't work for those gifts. I've just always had those gifts. Now, can I work on those gifts? Absolutely. Can I develop those gifts? Yes. Can I refine those gifts? Yes. Can I make myself have those gifts? No. Absolutely not. Again, there's no room for arrogance in this. These are gifts. We have to hang on to that word gift. I'm a coach. I, I, I coach basketball. I've coached it for a few years. I've coached baseball for, for several years. And I'll tell you right now, all right, those of you in this room who've coached before, you know this as well. There are certain things, we call them kind of intangibles, that you cannot coach. You just can't coach certain things. There are certain things that you can work all day long on, and either a kid has those gifts or doesn't have those gifts. Right now I'm coaching basketball and I have this really awesome group of kids and they just have this, they are super hyper competitive. They have this fire in their bellies. They give constant effort. They are constantly diving on the floor, kicking and scratching, fighting for everything. They are playing great defense all the time. They want to win and they scrap. Last week, apparently in our league, if you get up by over 30, they just turn the scoreboard off. I don't know if that's like to make the other team feel better about themselves or what that is, but that's what they had to do. We were up by over 30. They turned the scoreboard off. Uh, yesterday, we had to go all the way to this place in Colorado called Keensburg that I did not ex know existed, and we, we played this team, and we beat them 16 to nothing. The other team didn't even score, and at the end of the game, all the other kids on the other team were crying, and it was awesome. It was, it was beautiful. It was it was awesome. I got these kids, you can't tell them to let up because you coach them to give 100% and then you can't just change that tactic in the middle of the game. They're too young to understand that. And so they just give all this effort all the time. You cannot coach that. They either have it or they don't. That's why we refer to certain, certain athletes out there as having just this God-given. That's the phrase that we use, God-given talent. And I see it in every sport all across the board, right? 
I see it in fighting, I see it in football, I see it in basketball, I see it in baseball. So when those people, those athletes get really, really arrogant, and you see them interviewed on TV and there's all this arrogance, it doesn't really add up, it doesn't make any sense because you're going, man, you've been given this God-given talent, this God-given gift, there's no room for arrogance. The same is true in the church. So with that disclaimer, let's kind of look back and let's kind of break down these verses bit by bit and see what kind of implications it has for us. Look at verse 11 again. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. You could sum all that up by saying certain people have been gifted to serve as leaders in a church. And we could go on all day about the differences between those different roles. But the reality is this. God gives and puts a specific calling on certain people's lives to be servant leaders full-time, vocationally, inside the church. And here's the thing. This is what kind of stood out to me as I was watching Band of Brothers last, last month. You know this. Bad leaders get people killed. Bad leaders get people killed. That's true in war, that's true in life, and that's true especially in the church. First few episodes of Band of Brothers deal with this really bad leader of Easy Company played by the guy who played Ross on Friends. I'm like, I don't know, I just couldn't see him as a soldier. It just didn't work for me, you know? It's like, okay, at least they cast him as a bad leader because I could not see him like storming into, you know, D-Day. But he was a bad leader, and at one point, all the officers underneath of him, if you've seen it or read the book, you know this is what happened. They, they resigned their position as officers instead of being willing to lead their men into battle with him as the leader because they knew bad leaders get people killed. And they're going, listen, this guy's going to get us killed. And they took a huge risk by doing that. That could have been considered a treasonous act, but the leaders above him recognized that oh, bad leaders get people killed. See, leadership is a gift that almost everyone wants, but very few people actually want to bear the responsibility of it. Everybody wants the glory. Nobody wants the blame. That's why the gift of leadership can be such a dangerous gift. It can be a very good thing that goes bad. My, my mom loves to tell this story about me, and she's a part of our church, and so she gets a good kick out of telling stories about me. But when I was in third grade, apparently a report card came home uh, that gave this little note at the end that said, Scott is a great leader. And then there was like ellipses, and then it said, but, <laughs> right? But he leads the entire class in the wrong direction. It's like, oh. <laughs> Leadership can be good or it can be bad. And some of us know this from past experience. Bad leadership inside the church is dangerous. And if it goes unchecked, it hurts lots of people. Leaders in the church don't exist to boss people around, to tell people what to do, to hand out advice, constantly reprimand people. No, their purpose is much different than that. And Paul goes on to say what that is. Here's the purpose of leaders in the church. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. That's a very, very poignant verse. That word equip, circle that, underline it, highlight it, write it down, do something with it, because it's a very powerful word. It, it has all kinds of different implications and connotations. In one sense, the word equip means to perfect. It means to make complete. In other words, it implies that this thing was once incomplete, right? To make something incomplete, complete. It's also a picture uh, that's very similar to our series title. It means to train up. It means to take something raw and refine it. It's also a medical term. Uh, this is interesting. Jesse and I were talking about this, this this past week. It was a medical term that meant to uh, set a broken bone, some of you have broken bones before, and you know what that is. So something that's been broken being reset so that it can fully function. It's also a term uh, that was referred to often in mending fishing nets. So you got this big hole in a fishing net, you mend it, uh, you equip it. So again, restoring something that wasn't fully functioning into something that can now serve its, 
its original purpose. Now, here's something interesting I didn't know until recently. And I, I've never broken any bones outside of fingers and toes, which don't count, by the way. But man, you break that pinky toe in the middle of the night when you stub your toe, that, that's brutal. That might be the worst thing ever. But I've witnessed... I remember I actually had Luke, our worship leader here. I took Luke to some cage fights one time. Can you picture Luke at cage fights? All right, it was awesome. I took Luke to some cage fights, and we were at this bar downtown, and we were sitting on the second row, and uh, the, the bell rang for the first round for these two guys, and they came out, and they both threw inside leg kicks at the same time, and it sounded like a twenty-two rifle when their shins met, and one of them's shin snapped in half and he didn't know it happened he went to stand on it and just fell over and I'll never forget him turning over towards me and watching his leg flop around like that it was don't throw up don't throw up I was there all right Luke just passed out like dear Jesus you know it was awesome it was awesome but I've seen I've seen that happen live and some of you are MMA fans that happened to one of the most famous fighters of all time last year Anderson Silva did the exact same thing in a championship fight against uh, Chris Weidman and when here's what I've learned as I've kind of studied up on that because I didn't understand how somebody can get back in the cage after they've snapped their leg in half like that doesn't make any sense to me but here's what I've learned and you medical people already knew this is oftentimes uh, the point in the bone that was broken uh, when it reheals is stronger than the bone was before. That's really interesting to me. The place of brokenness is the place of greatest strength. Huh, does that sound familiar at all? Could it be that your greatest giftedness will come out of your greatest brokenness? That the way God has in mind for you to serve, to help, and encourage, and equip others will not be just kind of related to, but a direct result of the struggles and the weaknesses and the sins of your life. That the way God has in mind to use you will likely be related to what you checked yes on last week. Let me answer the question for you. Absolutely. Yes. These are those fearsome blessings that I keep bringing up. Jesus made it really clear to Paul when Paul begged and pleaded, God, take this away from me. Take away this this thorn in my flesh. What what was Jesus' response? No, my strength is made perfect in your what? Weakness. Strength and weakness. The strongest things God will accomplish in and through your life will involve your weaknesses. Think about it. What would you call Jesus' weakest moment? On the cross, right? Right? However, at the same time, was that also the most powerful, healing, redemptive, conquering moment in the history of the universe? Yes. So this equipping, this strengthening of weakness is for, this is a very interesting phrase, this is for the saints. The saints. Now, that's a term that creates a lot of tension in a lot of us. On one hand, we think, man, I am no saint. I'm just a broken, sinful, messed up person. Well, yes and no. If... If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've accepted his free gift of grace and mercy, he saved you, then objectively, here's the truth, in reality, before God, you are whole, complete, no longer broken, no longer messed up. You are no longer a sinful person. You are holy, you are righteous, you are blameless. You are, in fact, a saint by no work of your own, but by Jesus' work on your behalf. That's the implications of 2 Corinthians 5.21, one of my favorite verses, which says, For our sake he, God the Father, made him, Jesus the Son, to be sin, in whom, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, in him we literally become the righteousness of God. We are clothed, we are dressed, we are covered in Jesus' righteousness on our behalf. We are God's children, and that is, don't miss this, Saints is our core identity. That's 
who we are at our deepest level if you are a follower of Jesus. Now, at the same time, we have this desperate wrestling match going on with what Paul refers to as our sinful nature. Our sinful nature. And that's the reality that you and I walk in every day. Look at this, Romans 7, 15 through 25. This is what I think is famously Paul's nervous breakdown. Here's how it goes. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do everything I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. See that core identity tension there? For I know that nothing good dwells in me that's in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but I don't have the ability to carry it out for I do not do the good that I want but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing now if I do what I do not want it is no longer I who do it but it's the sin who dwells within me do you see the nervous breakdown happening so so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right this is our story evil lies close at hand for I delight in the law of God here we go in my inner being core identity stuff but I see in my members sinful nature stuff, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. See, for a follower of Jesus, our core identity at our deepest level is that we are a saint. But that is always and constantly at war and battle with our old self, our old person, our old sinful nature, our surface level identity, temptations, and sins. We are not defined by our actions, our behaviors, our struggles, or our sins, but it's a battle. I would just sum it up by saying this. We're saints, but we act like sinners. We are saints, but we act like sinners a lot. So all this equipping for the saints is so that saints, followers of Jesus, can do the work of the ministry. So here's the deal that gets really, really twisted in the church. It's not the leaders at the church's job to do everything. It's the leaders of the church's job to equip believers, saints, followers of Jesus, to go and do the work of the ministry. Now, what does that mean? Well, we'll break some of that down. It simply means this, to serve one another. It means to, as we talked about last week, take care of each other. It means to have each other's back. It means to look at each other in the midst of our brokenness and our struggle and our own nervous breakdowns like Paul had and go, I got you. I got you. I'm not going to throw stones at you. How about we link arms and we follow Jesus together? So let's say this clearly. This is your church. This is your church. It's not Jesse's church. It's not Scott's church. It's not Jim's church. It's our church. And you have a part to play. You have a role to play. And guess what? It's not a small one. It's important and it's significant. It's not a little bit. It's a big deal. And if you don't play your part, if you don't do your job well, guess what? We all suffer for it. The rest of us have to pick up the slack. And people don't get to hear about Jesus. It's that simple. And I'm not trying to lay a guilt card on anyone. I'm just trying to speak into the room what's absolutely true. This is what Paul's saying. Look, if you don't play your part, if you don't show up, if you don't get in the battle, if you don't get in the fight, the rest of us are weaker for it. But when everyone plays their part, does their job, we move the ball down the field a little bit more efficiently. So there's a reason why I love basketball. There's lots of reasons for that. But one of which is I think that when basketball is played right, it's the most visually appealing sport there is. When five people don't move as individuals, but they rather move as a team, as a unit, and there's this effortless looking thing that requires much effort, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing when everybody plays their role. But when one individual forgets their role and does their own thing, the entire team suffers. So let me say this, all right? Let me say it without apology. Okay? It's been about one year. It's been about one year since we have opened the doors here at, at West Campus of, of Flatirons Community Church. 
And if you have made the decision that this is your church, as many of you have, I know that you have, and some of you, you're just checking this place out, still trying to decide, is this my church or not? And and that's totally cool. Please keep coming. Please keep evaluating. Try to figure that out, all right? But if you've decided this is your church, here's the deal. Get in the game. Get in the game. We need you. So many of you have stepped up already in so many ways. We need more of you to step up in so many ways. And if you aren't willing to serve, if you're just going, no, I kind of like the view, all right? I like the drive up, uh, up the hill or across the hill or over the mountain or through the woods, over to whatever, you know. If, that's, if you're just going, I just need a place to just sit here and open my Bible once a week and just feel good about myself, but I have absolutely no interest in serving, getting in the game, or being a part of what's going on in the life that, of that church, please gather your things and find another place to do that. Right? We're, we are not interested in creating a gathering place for, for saints to just feel good about themselves. Remember what we talked about last week. This is a hospital for sinners, which means that we all have to be in and we all have to be involved in making it a safe place for lost and broken people. So if you're just looking for a place to land, please go do that somewhere else because we need your seat. All right. But if you think this is really, really important, and unashamedly, I'll tell you, it is. If you think this is really, really effective, and again, it is, if you think this is worth it, it is, then not only will that show up in your actions through your time and your serving, here's the other thing, I'm trying to offend as many people as possible today, you're welcome, Jesse, all right? It'll show up in your giving. (gasps) Oh no, he's talking about money. Yeah, I am, because Jesus did. Your issue's not with me if you don't want me to talk about money, your issue's with Jesus. I mean, about a third of the words that came out of Jesus' mouth were about money, because Jesus understood that one of the number one competitions for our heart is money, which is why he said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, here's the terrible thing about our time and our money. It betrays our words. We can talk all day long about what we really care about and what's really important to us. All you have to do is take an audit of your time and your money. That will reveal what's actually true. What you do with your money, your time, and your stuff tells the truth about your heart. So if you don't direct your money to furthering the ministry of what you call your church, then your church really isn't at the heart of what you say you care about. It's that simple. If serving as a forgiven follower of Jesus actually matters to you, then you will give your money to to what matters. Now, I'll just be bluntly honest, all right? We've seen West Campus step up in a whole lot of ways in serving and all kinds of things. What we haven't seen West Campus do significantly is step up in the act of giving and generosity. Now, here's the thing I want to take off the table, all right? The Lafayette Campus is not daddy, all right? And the West Campus is not the proverbial 35-year-old son who won't get out of the basement, all right, does that make sense? All right, the, the West Campus, if, if we care here in this community about moving the ball down the field at West Campus, then we need to get involved in sacrificial giving. This is your church, and our ability to do ministry up here is directly tied to your generosity and sacrificial giving or lack thereof. So if you're in, it's time to start giving. And here's the deal, all right? In the month of February, if you up your giving, we did this last year, all right? If you up your giving to a percentage that is higher than what you've been given before, zero to two, two to four, four to six, six to eight, man, I'm good at math, eight to 10, you know, whatever that is. And you at the end of that month go, that wasn't worth it. That wasn't worth my investment. You can call our CFO, Michael Kane, and say, I gave this much and you have it on right. You can't do this by cash, all right? I gave a million dollars in cash and I want it back. No, no, no. We don't believe you. You're a liar, all right? But if you give via check and we have a record of your giving and at the end of that month you go, it wasn't worth it, we will give it back. We'll give it back. So just test us on this one. Test God on this one and see if it turns out to be worth it or not. 
See, this isn't some manipulation to get you guys to serve and give more. I'm just pointing to the reality. Pointing to the reality of what is true. Because listen, I want to call you to something much higher today than just sign up to serve somewhere, put a few dollars in the buckets on on your way out. I want to call you to something much bigger than that, that you are a part of. You are a part of it. Because let me tell you who's out there right now. There's a woman praying right now. A woman who's been praying for years for her husband that he would one day come to church with her. And she's been praying that there would be a church that her husband would actually attend and not roll his eyes at everything that happens inside and outside of that church. From the decorations inside the church building to the guy who walks on stage to preach to the kind of songs that they sing. If he says yes to that, one day if he finally has an answer to her prayer says, yes, I'll go to church with you. And she brings him to this place. Do you know what she's going to be wringing her hands about? Everything. Everything that happens here will matter on that day. Because she knows about him. He will only give it one shot. So if the parking lot doesn't work well, if they can't find a spot, and if the people parking cars aren't kind and helpful and competent and efficient, and he, he may not even slow down. He may just drive right through and keep on going. If when they come in the building, they aren't, there aren't kind, awesome people to greet and explain the process, to give clear and good directions on where and how to check their kids in. If there are not people in the rooms to check in, if the kids' rooms open late because somebody didn't show up, or if they seem uncaring or incompetent or just aloof, he might bail out and say, I'll take my kids somewhere where they care about my kids. If when they walk in here, the experience doesn't connect, the music is bad, or Jim and I don't bring our effort and giftedness to the table. If there aren't people in what we call space world back here who do all the things that I don't know how to do, where they press buttons and run cameras and produce lyrics and clear and transitions that aren't distracting, that guy might never come back. See, what she understands is this. Every part, every piece of what happens in this place is important. And some parts might get more of the glory. Some might be more high profile. But every part of that is important, vital, and could be the weak link in the body of Christ, the church. What happens matters. Let me tell you what else it matters more than. What happens in this place and outside of this place as an overflow of this place is more important than 10 inches of fresh powder up that direction. It's more important than a football game on a Sunday, and it's more important than a sunny day to go fishing or hiking. It's more important than brunch with some friends, and it's more important than sleeping in. It matters. It matters. And if you don't do your part, someone has to. This is too important to leave another member of the body of Christ to hang out to dry like that. So yes, we have all kinds of needs. We have all kinds of ways you can serve in this place and all over this place. And you can go down in the lobby today to sign up for those and ask questions about that and all that. But listen, don't sign up unless you're ready to bring it. Don't sign up unless you're willing and ready to bring all of you. If you're not going to give 110%, please don't sign up at all. We'll be better off with less people giving everything they have than more people giving some of what they have. Again, I'm a coach. This, is, this plays true in life, right? I'd rather have five players that give me 110% effort than 10 players who give me 50 every day of the week. I'll be even more honest. I don't, I don't get to mail it in when I come up here. Jim doesn't get to mail it in. When we walk up those five steps at this campus or or Lafayette campus, we don't get to mail it in. I never have and I never will. The day I do is the day you should let me go do something else. It's too important. There are weeks where, to be honest, that's what I want to do. Last week, I had the flu. This week, I'm really, really tired. There are weeks where, if I'm honest, I'd rather be watching my kids play sports. But this is important. And here's the thing that plays through my mind and my heart. I don't want to look Jesus in the eye one day and go, yeah, I kind of phoned it in half the time. Well, Why? Well, because there was what? Something more important to do? No. 
No, I don't want that conversation to happen like that. I want to go, look, for good or for bad, I left it all in the field. I gave it all. I spent it all. I, I didn't do it perfectly. And Lord knows some sermons are better than others. But listen, at the end of the day, I gave everything that I had to this. See, the person downstairs right now who's holding babies, who's playing with my son Bo and my son Silas and my son Eli and my daughter Landry, is as an important part of the link in the chain as I am right now. Every part, every piece is important. Now I'm ranting, all right? And I'm kind of done, almost done, all right? Okay, not really, but here's the deal. All of that is for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. Paul does this in all kinds of his writings. If you read through his letters in the New Testament, you'll see that metaphor repeatedly referring to the church as the body of Christ. That we, like a body, have different purposes and different parts to play based on our giftings, and they all matter. Look, look at verse 13 again. It says this, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, underline that phrase, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You got that word unity that shows up again. And here's, here's the verse that makes it really, really clear about that unity leading to maturity thing. The way it translates here is that being connected through Christ to one another brings the whole body into what Paul calls mature manhood. The church as a whole grows up. And the picture given here is into mature manhood. And here's the truth about men, all right? Let's talk about men in this room. Men age one of two ways. Like milk, that means not good, all right? Or like wine, that means good. When a man ages like wine, that's an awesome thing to behold. That, there's a steadiness there, there's a wisdom there, there's a maturity there, there's a strength there, there's a, there's a meekness there, and it's awesome to watch and witness and behold. That's the picture Paul is painting of the church, that the church can look like that. That the church would actually as a whole be sturdy and have backbone and not easily swayed or pushed around, but rather be like a full-grown man. Um, men, we oftentimes talk about um, just someone who has just like man strength. We just refer to it as man strength. It comes around the age of 30, all right? I think it's because you have children and you have to prove to them that you can always beat them up if you need to, all right? That's where it, that's where it comes from, that just someone who has that level of strength that is kind of intangible. That's the idea of the church, that when we remain unified, this place becomes safe and stable and powerful and efficient and wise and humble as opposed to, look at verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Look, there are a million, there are a million new shiny false teachings that get recycled in the churches every 20 years or so. And everybody always thinks they're new and improved and they're not. And immature churches with really bad leaders get swept up in these things all the time. And God in his grace and God in his mercy stops sending his lost and broken people to those churches. But a mature church knows its identity, knows the Bible, knows its purpose and knows its personality, knows its message and its methods and the unique contribution that it can bring to the table. And Flatirons, we know who we are. We know our purpose. We know what we're about. We know who we reach. Flatirons uniquely seems to have an ability to reach people who don't know anything about Jesus, the Bible, or church. God just keeps bringing people like that to us. We also seem to have this ability to reach deeply wounded people who've been wounded by the church. God keeps bringing us. God brings us lots of pastors, lots of people who've worked or still do work in churches just so they can kind of heal up in our place. 
Flatirons also brings in people who are done playing church. I hear it all the time. I, heard it, I hear it from a lot of people up here at this campus. Been in church a long time, but you're just kind of done playing church, and you want to stop pretending, and you want to be real. Flatirons seems to be able to bring people like that in. That's who God seems to be bringing our way through the way that he has uniquely gifted us. So we don't read church growth magazines. We don't go to a lot of conferences on how to do church stuff. We aren't really interested in the newest church fads. We have Jesus. We have our Bible. We have each other. We have the, God, the God-given gifts that he's given us, and we believe that's more than enough. Now, look at verse 15 and 16. We'll kind of wrap this up. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, key phrase, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That phrase, working properly, means that when each part is doing its job, it's effectual. In other words, you're not just spinning your wheels, but you're working in your area of giftedness. And when that happens, it's powerful, it's active, and it's influential. The phrase working properly actually was a medical term as well that referred to the impact of medicine on someone, the healing that it brought, the effect that it had on the body. So here's the bottom line today. It goes like this. When the church, made up of individuals with different gifts, is unified and everyone is doing what God has uniquely gifted them to do, guess what happens? Broken, lost, hurting people find healing. This is important. I can't tell you what your gift is, but I can tell you where to start looking for it. Start with where you are uniquely broken. That broken place in your life that God has been healing up. Maybe he just started healing that up last week. That place of greatest weakness that has the potential to be your greatest strength. That fearsome blessing in your life. Start looking there. And then start asking some people you trust who also follow Jesus what they see in you. Then look for ways inside the walls of this church and outside the walls of this church to bring those gifts to the table for the benefit of others. The work of the ministry is in your hands. It's not in Jesse's hands. It's not in the rest of the West Campus staff's hands. Their job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. There's a reason. Again, I'm a coach. There's a reason when at every time out, before every game, at the end of every game, we put our hands in together. And on the count of three, you know what we don't do? We don't say everybody's name. We don't go on the count of three, everybody shout your name. No, we, on the count of three, we all shout team. Team, because together, this is bigger than us. This is bigger than any one of us as individuals, but we each have a unique and important role to play. So let's go all in, because here's the reality, folks. Last week, when we all stood up to answer those questions, and we sang that song, Come As You Are, that was an awesome Me Too moment, but it was also a moment where we made a promise. We made a promise to each other, and we made a promise to anybody who in the future will walk through the doors of any of our campuses, that we will be a safe place a place where you can actually come and you can lay down your burdens and you can lay down your shame and you can find out that Christ is enough. And as you work your stuff out between you and Jesus, we can look at each other and say, we got you. That's what the church is for. If you want to be a part of that, let's give 110%. Let's pray. God, thank you for who you are and thank you for what you gave. Thank you that gave your son Jesus for us. You, you've held nothing back from us. You're not holding anything else back from us. So God, we want to give you everything that we are and everything that we have, not to pay you back, not to try to earn your approval, but because we already have it. 
God, there are hurting, lost, and broken people out there who need to hear the message of your grace and your mercy and your love, this radical, inclusive grace. So God, help us keep changing us from the inside out so that we can keep throwing parties for broken people, hurting people, people who have been marginalized. God, help us to keep, keep moving towards your goals and your purposes to find out what you're doing in the world and to join you in that, not to bring our own agendas to the table. God, we just want to go all in for you because you sent your son Jesus, went all in for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.